This is the Early Link Podcast. I'm Rafael Otto. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Anya Hurwitz, who is the Executive Director of SEAL, an organization based in Oakland, California, that is at work improving the education experience for English learners. SEAL stands for Sobrato Early Academic Language and is a model that includes curriculum, professional development, and technical assistance so schools and teachers can better meet the needs of English learners. Dr. Hurwitz has been a teacher, school leader, and district administrator, and has a doctorate in educational leadership from University of California, Berkeley. She has been on the SEAL team since 2014. The SEAL model today is used in more than 100 programs and schools in California. Anya, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Could you start by giving us some background on the SEAL model? Where did it originate and why? SEAL is a powerful English learner, dual language learner focused approach to education that's rooted in the intersection of research and educational equity. So we have three bedrock values, uh, a commitment to further developing the intellectual and linguistic genius of young children's brains, honoring and valuing the role of families culture and language in a student's life, and helping educators and schools really cultivate the skills, the mindsets that they need to become powerfully effective. Our model is inclusive of all students, of all children, creating an environment where children engage together in what we call rigorous, joyful content and language-rich learning. So a little bit of background on how we got here. Um, In the early 2000s, the Sobrato family was nearing their 10 years into their institutional philanthropy as a family foundation. Based in the Oakland area? Uh, the Sobrato family is actually based in Silicon Valley, uh, and the SEAL began with a focus on Silicon Valley in California. Okay. Yeah, so they were looking to do something big. They knew they wanted to focus on Silicon Valley, which was their hometown, as well as where they've made the bulk of their wealth. And so they wanted to focus on early learning, on setting children up for real academic success. And within Silicon Valley, uh, the communities that were being really left behind that were not benefiting from the incredible wealth that was being and is being generated in that region, um, they wanted to focus on immigrant, largely Latino families. Okay. So in early 2000s, they began researching and connecting with experts, and they began to realize that there was no program or initiative that was already designed that they felt they could bring to the Valley that would have the impact they were looking to have. So after some time, they connected with Dr. Lori Olson. And Lori's had a long career in English learner and immigrant rights and education. At the time, she was very focused on researching and really naming the issue of long-term English learners in California. Long-term English learners refers to kids who enter our system in preschool or elementary school. And after many years, five, six, seven, eight years, they still haven't redesignated. They're still classified as English learners and they haven't gained the academic skills necessary to thrive. um, And the system hasn't really supported their English language development as well as often their home language development. So Dr. Olson was was doing a lot of work around long-term English learners And um, when she connected with the Sobrato family and was asked to design an early learning model that would prevent 
students becoming long-term English learners, really something that was oriented towards doing the right thing for our youngest English learners, our dual language learners, as we call them in, in the early childhood sector, uh, she left at the opportunity. And so that began the pilot of SEAL uh, in three school communities, two in San Jose and one in Redwood City. And it began with an elementary school in each of those places in those school communities and their feeder preschool. Um, and each of the schools had both a bilingual or dual language track as well as an English immersion track. And so, and on each of those school communities, all three of them really served predominantly Latino, Spanish speaking English learner students. So they were pretty homogenous communities. And at the time, Proposition 227, which was still on the books, that's the proposition that created an English only uh, policy context within California and had deeply undermined bilingual education in the state. Um, so Prop 227 was very much in full fledged. And of course, we know it flies completely against the research base, right, it, it, around um, students developing and English learners developing home language and their, that setting them up for a real trajectory of success. In addition, we were still very much operating under No Child Left Behind. So this was before the Common Core had been adopted in California. And so SEAL was designed really to enact research-based practice that embraced these new notions of 21st century education and that would prevent long-term English learners. So one of the important features of the model is that preschool is kind of embedded in the effort. And so I wanted to ask you, with your background in K-12, what brings you to early learning and specifically focusing on preschool through third grade? At all stages of my career, my focus has always been really to work towards the promise of public education in our country. Uh, the core of that being firmly based in the notion of education as a critical component of a healthy democracy. So really, my focus in education has always been with that equity focus and a belief in the power of education to empower individuals and communities. I've always been focused on public education, and I've always worked within marginalized communities, underserved communities, the places where our system is most broken or is least working to deliver on this promise. And really, I've always wanted to and always tried my best to be involved in efforts that reimagine or redesign school systems, schools, to better meet these children's needs and communities' needs. And within California, it's so critical uh, for us in order to get education right, we need to focus on English learners um, in order to achieve a healthy future for our state. So for an opportunity to focus on early learning is extremely powerful because we know what's happening developmentally for children during these years is profound. These years are so critical in the development of their language and their learning um, and their overall cognitive and emotional development. So if we're trying to reimagine schools and reimagine what schools should be, then ensuring children's first experiences are as powerful as possible is just key. And for English learners, that means having an asset-based approach to language development. That has not been, and in many places is still not the approach being enacted, this asset-based approach, um, but rather systems are designed as if children and communities have a deficit because they speak another language. So that 
has a profound impact on kids. Um, and so for me, focusing on early learning is a powerful way to channel my energy and my commitment to the promise of really what public education can and should be in the United States. When we think about the SEAL approach and the SEAL model, there are many pieces that have have to come together for it to work. We've got preschool, early elementary, dual language practices. You're partnering with nonprofits. What was the, and, and you've touched on this a bit, but what was the inspiration uh, to bring the best of all of these different worlds and these different partners together? And what does that look like? So from its very inception, SEAL was intended to leverage these intersections um, to bring forward comprehensive school level change. So to leverage preschool and elementary in the intersection there, to leverage language and learning, specifically the integration of language and content, which is what's behind that notion of academic language, to leverage the intersection of research and policy with practice, and to leverage the private and public sectors. So within this notion of preschool and elementary and why that's so important, particularly, you know, this zero to eight or preschool through third grade focus, there's a widespread understanding about the importance of early learning in settings to set kids up for academic and lifelong success. Yet so many system level barriers are in place that make that understanding very hard to come to life. Right. The children belong to both the systems or really it's multiple systems, particularly in regards to early care and learning and the K-12 systems, you know, they go through all of these systems, but the grown-ups and the policies don't, right? And so, so many approaches don't make the connections that are needed. Uh, so for us, focusing on preschool through elementary was built in as an important area of focus from the very beginning. So um, in terms of the intersection between language and learning, we know that language develops most powerfully in the context of authentic learning, authentic communication, authentic interaction. And children's brains from zero to eight years old are wired for language. Children are naturally scientists and social scientists. They naturally want to understand how the world works. For low-income children, that access to rich, rigorous, interesting, like truly interesting content is an equity issue, right? It's, it's really essential to get them set up for their trajectory for academic success. Another intersection that we focus on is the intersection between bilingual education and English instruction, which is, of course, the wide predominance of our classroom model in across the country, but in California. Research is really clear, as well as the public sentiment in California, which is very interested. We saw a new proposition pass in 2016 that really affirmed the voters' interest in multilingualism. And yet, the fact that the research and public sentiment really flies very much in the face of classroom practice. So we are committed um, to really expanding and strengthening bilingual and dual language education. And we also know that English learners, dual language learners, will many, most of which will be taught by monolingual teachers. So we're really looking at how can we deepen and expand and create powerful research-based bilingual and dual language programs and instruction, and what can we learn from that 
that can inform monolingual classrooms and monolingual teachers in their efforts so that we ensure that home language is both developed and leveraged because that's what's so critical. Um, in terms of the, the intersection of research and policy with practice, we really focus on enacting research-based practice. So what does the research tell us about what should be happening for kids when they learn while also contributing to the research base? So really wanting our work to enhance what we know about the research. We also are responsive to the policy context, really understanding what's happening within policy while also trying to push the policy forward and create stronger, better policies. Um, and all of this is focused on practice. So our focus is always on real classrooms, real schools, real systems. And then lastly, in terms of the private and public sector, there's so much that needs to happen to um, deliver on that promise of public education. And so we understand that it's only through leveraging both the private and public sectors that we're going to have the largest impact possible. If you could, when we think about the model being in place, uh, if you could paint a picture and describe what that means for kids, for teachers, and then expanding out to the school system, what does that look like? So SEAL classrooms are alive with language and learning. There are language and content-rich, engaging, joyful learning environments. The content is visible, so you can absolutely tell what the children are learning about. And it's interesting. The language is audible, rich, academic language, or we like to say rich language um, because it goes beyond the academic realm. And ideally, as I said before, it's in two languages. Um, so we're working multilingually. If it's a thematic unit about ecosystems, on the door of the classroom, you might see a sign that says, welcome, we are a community of ecologists studying about the interrelationship between organisms and their environment. The children are really becoming ecologists. You will see various areas of the classroom become different ecosystems, each with a researcher center and in preschool through first grade, a thematic content-based dramatic play area. You'll see literature easily available and visibly being taught both fiction and nonfiction. You'll see art. You'll see authentic writing projects, including home school connection projects that parents work on with their children. You'll see home languages and cultures are clearly reflected in the curriculum and across the classroom. Collaborative learning where children are deeply engaged, we hear over and over again within SEAL implementation that behavior issues drastically decrease. And to be honest, everybody acknowledges that it's just because it's interesting. Kids are not bored. Mm. And so therefore, the behavior issues um, <laughs> decrease drastically. Right, right. We hear again over and over again that SEAL reinvigorates teachers, giving them the hands-on tools and strategies while also really deepening their knowledge and understanding of why the pedagogy works. Um, so we, we call it a balance of the how and the why. Um, and I have a quote for you um, from a teacher in uh, Los Angeles Unified School District. She says, I'm a reborn teacher and three decades of teaching this past year with SEAL has been the best experience I've ever had. With what they teach us, the hands-on experience and our awesome coaches, we return to the classroom with knowledge, books and supplies to implement immediately. I feel like a brand new teacher and I absolutely love it. And we also have heard um, many instances where teachers actually choose not to retire 
because when they begin the SEAL implementation process. For teachers, this means professional development um, and collaboration. So we really focus very much on collaboration as enacting that the professional learning that they're doing so that the teachers are really driving what's happening in their classrooms, but not in isolation, not working by themselves, really in teams. So teachers work across sites and teams to plan their units that enact our pedagogy. So it's really a balance of curriculum and instruction. And they're doing this with the support of a coach. So we call coaching the linchpin in the model because it's the coach is both critical for teachers as individuals to get that feedback and support that they need, but also in teams of teachers, the coaches play this critical role to facilitate the unit development, the collaborative work that's happening and the collaborative learning of the teachers. We also see that leaders are committed to building these professional learning systems so that the school leaders and the district leaders are invested for the long term in their teachers. So both in the implementation, the core implementation years, but beyond that, they're really building a professional learning system. So this is not about classroom by classroom or teacher by teacher. It's really about a systems-wide approach. And I have one more quote to share. Um, This is from a superintendent. He says, SEAL has changed the impact of how students learn in our classrooms. Our English learners have consistently made significant progress where in the past they haven't. Could you say more about the importance of language, this concept of the importance of language as the vehicle for all learning? And related to that is the concept of multilingualism as an asset. Talk more about that and what does that look like in the SEAL model? Language is the core to all cognitive development for all children. And this is true for even nonverbal students. And, you know, language is the vehicle of cognitive development. So we're leveraging the role of language while we deepen the overall learning, which we often refer to as the content. So this intersection between language and content. Sure. And this has particular significance for English learners and dual language learners because they're working across multiple languages. We want to leverage the assets that they have in one language and they're learning a second language at the same time. Meanwhile, it's true for all children. So SEAL is very much a model that does support all learning. It's not a pull-out program. It's designed to support the learning of all students while also really refining the instruction and pedagogy for dual language learners and English learners. We know that children learn language when simultaneously learning about the world and, and interacting with the world. So this approach gives students the context for understanding language. They learn how to use the language in relationship to the concepts that they're learning. So, for example, we do focus on English language development, right? We believe that English and and in general language should be taught explicitly, particularly in the context of multilingualism or bilingual classrooms. So we believe in English language development. We also focus on Spanish language development, but always within the context of what the kids are learning about, so not in isolation. So if it's a lesson, if the language development goal or target is around sequencing language and building students' language um, development around sequencing language, it would be taught in the context of a unit and a unit where sequencing is appropriate. So often it might be history-based unit where we're looking at how things change over time in a particular state, let's say, or, um, I mean, sequencing can be used in many different contexts, but the content and the language 
targets match each other. And then it would be applied, that knowledge, that language instruction would be applied in a project or in an activity that they're doing in the other parts of their day and the other parts of the classroom learning. So there's a direct relationship between the explicit language instruction and then how that relates to the overall learning. Mm -hmm. In terms of our focus on multilingualism, we just believe at the very core, it's an asset-based approach. So understanding that kids who have multiple languages spoken at home or have a language other than English spoken at home have an asset, not a deficit. So in a dual language or a bilingual classroom, that means really using um, metalinguistic strategies so kids understand what's happening in one language and how that relates to another language. But that metalinguistic strategy can also be used in a monolingual classroom. Um, so kids are really deepening their ability to see the relationship across languages. So we're leveraging languages, we're valuing cultures um, and multilingualism overall, but we know that the relationship between language and culture is inextricable. You can't separate that. So the relationship between really kids seeing all children in a classroom, seeing their cultures reflected is so critical and therefore also their languages. And then we understand that essential for building home language development and honoring and valuing bilingualism and multilingualism is a partnership with families. So really both that means that families understand our approach in the classroom, that we can build on their language assets, that we can also encourage them to take the learning that's happening in the classroom and build on it at home so that kids are using their home languages and connecting and making those connections, um, again, even in a monolingual classroom, that the parents and the families are aware of what they're learning and can continue conversations, continue oral language development on those topics in their home language. As well as when we have a bilingual or a dual language program, we want parents to really be understanding that the program model and kind of how they can support their students' development in both English and their home language. It sounds like there's a, a real appetite for this approach for the SEAL model, but I would love to get your thoughts on what you think led to SEAL's expansion and what you found people were hungry for when they were coming to you or when you were reaching out, and then maybe what other issues came up during the expansion process. I think many people in education are really hungry for a comprehensive approach. Uh, many people at all levels of educational systems really believe in equity. They got into education to work towards equity, um, and they believe in that core promise of education in our democracy. And so SEAL offers a comprehensive approach that is equity-focused, that is research-based, that explicitly addresses the children's learning needs and learning assets. And that's not a generic notion of equity. I think that a lot of approaches are based in values of equity, but don't necessarily go farther to have real clear pedagogical approaches and tools that help teachers and systems enact that equity value. So SEAL is both values-based and pedagogically or instructionally comprehensive. 
taking on both, as I said before, instructional strategies and curriculum design. And I think one of the pieces that distinguishes our approach is this idea that we're not tinkering around the edges. We're not offering a single element, um, but really trying to put together a large picture of what it will take to create comprehensive change. In addition to that, SEAL, as I said earlier, is very much situated in a specific policy context. So as I mentioned before, there was this growing awareness in the 2000s about long-term English learners, about what was happening to many English learners, particularly in relationship to being in English-only contexts where they were just not redesignating and that yet they didn't have the academic English to be um, successful academically, but they also didn't have bilingual educational context. And so they also often weren't developing their home language skills. So that awareness around long-term English learners. In addition, um, the transition to Common Core and to this notion of 21st century education was very much helped fuel SEALs expansion. In addition, in California at this time, in the beginning of SEAL expansion, 2013, 14, 15, is when we started to expand to new schools after the pilot, there was the implementation of the local control funding formula in California, which really named English learners as a specific group that was going to receive additional funding. Um, So it named English learners in California as a critical group of students that needed to be designed, education needed to be designed and addressed, and and therefore funding was going to be allocated. It was English learners, foster youth, and low-income students were the three groups that are identified in the local control funding formula. I think also we give our partners hope in putting together more of the pieces than any other program or initiative or model than um, they or I have seen elsewhere. Thinking about implementation, I know that the SEAL model has a pretty refined approach when thinking about engaging districts. There are many things that have to be in place in the implementation process. How did you get to that refined thinking, and could you describe it? Yeah. Within SEAL, we are really looking at and have a deep commitment to research-based approaches. And we mean that both in regards to the pedagogy and the student learning. What does it mean to enact research-based practice for student learning? But we also mean that in regards to adult learning, in regards to what we know about professional development and training. What does the research tell us about school change? What does the research tell us about systems change? So we're really pulling on all of these knowledge bases to create the model and the implementation process. There are some key components that were critical in the design and that we have stayed really true to as we've expanded, having an asset-based approach. And we say that we have an asset-based approach both towards the students and families that we serve, but also towards the educators that we partner with. We also knew that SEAL wasn't going to be a silver bullet. It wasn't going to be, a, you know, or magic pixie dust. It was going to be a model that required hard work and a long-term commitment. So we have um, tendency in education to preference things that are easy fixes, plug and play, you know, flavor of the month or flavor of the year kind of approaches. And that's been really 
a strong pattern in educational change um, is approaches that don't take root over time and that educators are unable to really invest deeply in year after year. And so we knew that we wanted to focus on being very explicit. This was going to be a long-term commitment. So the systems that we partner with understand that they're not going to shift their focus next year. They can't shift their focus next year. Otherwise, they'll be flushing their investment down the drain. Right. I think another right. piece that is really critical is we have a very, and this is related to that asset-based approach, we really believe in a partnership orientation. So understanding that our role in our work in school systems and with educators is to build their internal capacity, that they have knowledge both that we have to honor, but also they have local context-driven knowledge that we have to build from and understand and learn from, and that we have expertise and knowledge to share with them, but that they have to enact it and make it come to life. And our role is to build their capacity to do that. I want to ask you about working in what you've recently reported are super diverse schools. So the SEAL model isn't something that applies to just Spanish-speaking school communities, but that it can apply and it can work in schools with multiple languages. But what does that look like? How does the model change or shift in that kind of environment? So yes, yeah, SEAL was designed um, and piloted in the very early years in pretty homogenous communities that were very much predominantly Spanish-speaking English learner communities. But we were always working across both English-instructed and bilingual or dual-language programs. And so when we began expanding and moving into spaces that were much more diverse and had different, so much more heterogeneous, both in having both English learners and non-English learners or English-only students, as well as within the English learner population, having multiple languages spoken. Those contexts are English-instructed contexts. And so we had that experience already built in. So some of the ways that that plays out you know, teachers need to understand the languages of their students and not that they can speak all of them, but they need to have done some research and really understand what's the relationship between the language that they speak at home and English and how can they help their kids and their families gain that metalinguistic awareness so that it just, you know, it elevates their ability to work across those languages and to build from each of the languages. Because we know that there isn't one part of the brain that speaks one language and one part that speaks another language. There's always work happening within the brain across the languages. So I've talked a little bit about the role of the coach facilitator within the SEAL model. It's a critical role in the SEAL model because it amplifies the ability, it expands the ability of teachers to do this really deep, deep, deep work. And so within a super diverse classroom, the role of the coach to help pull resources so that teachers aren't doing this on their own, but they're, you know, if theoretically, if they're in a school community, there are multiple teachers serving these families in these communities, these cultures, these languages, the coach can play a role to help the teachers do this research and make their own understanding across the languages, across the cultures. The partnering with families needs to expand. So it's really critical that the school community, the teachers, really work to make that connection and that partnership across 
all of the different families that are there. And that work looks different when there's multiple cultures and languages to be partnered with, right? So what are the ways and how do you figure out the translation resources that you can pull from and really make an authentic connection and partnership across all the families? I wanted to ask you about outcomes and what kind of outcomes that you're seeing in the schools and districts that you're working with. So I will start with a quote that one of our principals recently shared with me. She says, I know SEAL is working when I walk into a classroom and kids are joyfully engaged in learning. They're happy. They're using complex language I haven't heard them practice before, and they understand the language they're using. So I start with that quote because for us within SEAL, we both focus on the standardized outcomes, the outcomes that we know validate the model, both English language development as assessed by the state and as well as academic outcomes um, as assessed by the state, as well as reclassification. Of course, that's one of the key dimensions of what we're looking for, so English learners reclassify. But we also are very focused on the tangible, visible, on-the-ground, day-to-day outcomes uh, that you hear this principle describing. Uh, We know that if we hyper-focus on standardized testing, that we end up with systems that are oriented in a very simplistic way and that don't create the kinds of engaged, powerful learning environments that we're aiming towards. So within our expansion, we've seen reclassification rates in our long-term district partners double in four years of implementation. We see high numbers of principals and teachers really believing that they are enacting research-based practices, that they're able to be responsive to their students' needs, that um, the implementation supports their language development and their content development. So we do see both um, outcomes at both the kind of the system level or the standardized level, as well as really honing in for educators, what does it mean to be assessing the components of the model and knowing that it's working in your classroom on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. I wanted to ask you about the political climate right now in California related to early learning. I know the governor has committed $2.4 $2.4 billion to early childhood. Can you talk about those investments and where where those investments are going to go? So in California, we have a very new changing policy context. We see the repeal of Proposition 227, which was the English-only policy of the late 1990s, mm-hmm. and with the passage of Prop 58 in 2016. And then the State Board of Education voted in a new English learner policy called the English Learner Roadmap, which is really grounded in an asset-based, research-based approach that values multilingualism and calls for expansion of multilingual and bilingual programs. And we also see with our new governor, Governor Newsom, a real commitment and focus on early childhood and investing in early childhood. And though Governor Newsom has committed um, an incredible investment in early childhood, 
we see a big chunk of that going towards teacher training invested in supporting the quality counts system. We also see the vast majority going into infrastructure investments, which are absolutely needed um, in facilities and in creating more access to early childhood and early care opportunities. One of the pieces for us within SEAL is really being clear about and advocating for a clear need to identify the students that our early care and learning systems are serving. And as I said earlier, not being generic about notions of quality or notions of equity. So in California, 60% of all children birth to five are English learners or dual language learners. Mm, That's incredible. And when we look at the programs that serve um, low-income families, that numbers, those numbers are even higher. Sure. So it's critical that as we make these investments in early care and learning, that we really identify the students' needs and name the students and then create professional learning and investments in our workforce that leverage those students, their assets, their families, and build the workforce ability to do that. Um, And so in early learning, we have this kind of age-old issue around quality versus access. Are we going to invest in quality? Are we going to invest in access, more seats, right? And so for us, it's not an either or. It has to be both. We have to talk about access in relationship to access to quality. And that quality can't be generic. Almost all of our quality counts systems, our QRS um, systems, are agnostic of the children and their language and cultural needs and supports and how to build um, programs that are asset-based. And so we're really calling for approaches and investments that build on the research base and define what we mean by quality in California. What's the future of SEAL? What's your hope for the model and for English learners in the years to come? As an independent organization, we are a, a newly formed independent organization as of July 2019. We are really leveraging our model and our approach overall to have a wider impact. So our mission is that all English learners in the state of California learn, thrive, and lead. And we understand that we're not going to be able to roll the model out to the entire state. The model um, takes a comprehensive level of touch and organizationally we can't possibly scale that without watering down our approach. So our focus is really on leveraging what we know about the model to have a larger impact, both in policy, through research, as well as um, in practice. And so we're working to create different tools and different mechanisms to share our best practice and invest in our state to have the kind of educational system and really, as I said, redesign our schools, our classrooms, our systems to enact that promise of what education can and should be. Anya, it was great speaking with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be a part of the show. This is the Early Link podcast brought to you by Children's Institute. Children's Institute is working to ensure that every child in Oregon has the best start in life. I'm your host, Rafael Otto. 
Join us and tune in on 99.1 FM on the second and fourth Sunday of every month at 4.30 p.m. Episodes are also available on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also find episodes on the Children's Institute website at childinst.org and on the Portland Radio Project website at prp.fm. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.